0: Welcome to a new episode of Land-Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. Today, we are joined by Land-Grant Holy Land and Football Outsiders' Chad Peltier to give you a crash course on college football advanced analytics and to let you know how the 2019 Buckeyes should stack up with the competition. Chad, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Matt. So, I wanted to do this because I feel like More and more as we're in the post-Moneyball era of sports and sports fandom and analysis, advanced analytics are becoming an ever-present part of not only how we talk about sports, but how sports are consumed and even approached from a coaching and general manager and program development standpoint. But for people like me who are, A, not all that smart, and B, especially not very good with math. I feel like I know how important those analytics are, but I don't actually understand what most of them mean. You are both smart and good at math, so I'm hoping that you can at least give us a little bit of an idea as to how these analytics translate to the game of college football, to Ohio State, and to how we as fans can watch them. So, as you kind of start looking at this season as a whole, what are some some of the analytics that are important to pay attention to? How are they determined without making people's heads spin? Where should people start if they want to understand how analytics impact the game of college football?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to give kind of an overview there. Um, so I, I think when you think about analytics – I think it's important to keep in mind kind of where we are in terms of uh, college football analysis, especially compared to other sports, because a lot of other sports have really comprehensive data sets. I mean, if you think about baseball, for instance, where kind of sports analytics started, um, you can track just about everything. I mean, they they have uh, quantitatively broken down pretty much every facet of the game, and so that everything is much more measurable than it is in football. We're we're catching up and the NFL um, statistics community has really kind of leapt forward in their analysis, especially with the uh, proliferation of open source data sets with the NFL Scrape R project. Um, But... The college, football, the college football game is catching up, too, especially due to the work of uh, Bill Connolly and uh, Brian Fermo and others uh, who have really kind of pushed ahead, not only just in terms of projecting which teams are best to give a better kind of ranking of who are the best teams and, and who are who shouldn't be part of the conversation for the playoff, but also uh, kind of more almost kind of tactical uh aspects of the game or even um, statistics to help better break down the game narrative or flow um, that can kind of help illuminate kind of what actually happened during the game. Uh, If I'm, if I'm just kind of explain if if I'm just trying to explain college football analytics to someone who's never heard of them before, um, I, I guess what I would start off with is, Essentially, what we try to do is take the concepts that you think of uh, ordinarily—you know—that you may think of in your qualitative analysis—and assign a number to them, uh, so that we can kind of analyze them in a more me- uh, methodical way. So, the kind of cornerstone of all football analysis is success rate, and essentially that that metric tries to break down the a team's offensive or defensive progress towards a first down. And essentially it takes into account that every yard line and every situation in a football game is different and has different value. For instance, um a a 5-yard gain on on 1st and 10 is different than the value of a 5-yard gain on 3rd and 3. Um obviously getting that first down on third and three is, is, is even more valuable than a successful five yard play on first down. Um, and the, the better efficiency metrics um, also take field position into account uh, accounting for situations where, you know, it's, it's more difficult to get that first down closer to the end zone or to your opponent's end zone, for instance. Um, so as well as coaches' decision-making kind of changes at different parts of the field. So if you boil down kind of the the cornerstone of college football analytics, I would say success rate as a measure of efficiency is where we would start. Um, when, when you see articles on Lanker and Holy Land next year, unless I make some kind of changes, essentially how I determine success rate is... Whether or not you achieve 50% of your necessary yardage on first down, and then 70% of the remaining yardage that you need on second down, and then 100% of the remaining yardage on third down or fourth down if you need it. Um, I I haven't yet adjusted that for field position, but that's essentially what you should see uh, if a play is tagged as as a successful play or not. The other big component of uh, college football analytics is explosiveness, and there's actually it's kind of an interesting time in the college football analytics world. We're all debating the uh, the kind of relevance of explosiveness as a metric, but but coaches at least seem to care quite a bit about it. Um, so we're, we're going to keep tracking it until we can kind of get down to the bottom of how important these plays are. Are. Uh, but if you look at Kirby Smart, for instance, he's said in interviews as recently as the last couple of weeks that they track all plays of, uh, over th- 13 yards or more as an explosive play. And so th- these, these are kind of big chunk plays. And so we'll track the rate at which you can achieve a 13 yard or more play. Um, you can also, uh, again, adjust that for field position and the down and distance. Um, but essentially, if, if you just think about a play uh, and, and college football drives in general as efficiency plus explosiveness, then you're going to get a, a good deal of the way there. And and then we can kind of dig into more uh, specific analytical metrics if if that's of interest, too.
0: Yeah, it, I I, I... I think it's it's super interesting because last year Ohio State's defense gave up what you wrote about quite a bit, gave up a ton of explosive plays, but it didn't necessarily always translate to them giving up points, or even if they did give up points, it didn't contribute to them losing very many games. So is that kind of the discussion about how important explosiveness is to the end game result, or or what's that conversation about as to kind of determine whether or not explosiveness is a statistical point of analysis that's worth following closely?
1: Yeah. So we can get into the weeds pretty quickly here uh, because (laughs) we don't need to do that. (laughs)
0: We're not, we're not as smart as you, Chad.
1: I I think you're being generous there, but, um, but yeah, essentially a lot of it can come down to first how you measure, measure explosiveness because you know, 13 yards may or may not be an arbitrary cutoff point. Um, some coaches use 15 yards. Some coaches vary it based on whether it's a run play or a pass play to to, to determine how many yards it is. Some have, you know, much more advanced ways of, of capturing whether or not a play was explosive. So I would say, first of all, it depends on how you measure explosi- explosiveness in the first place. Uh, second of all, uh, I, I think it, If you look at just uh, kind of regression relationships between overall uh, efficiency, explosiveness, and other factors in terms of game outcomes, uh, you'll see that that efficiency really, really matters. Um, So I I think that most people at at this point would say that kind of success rate and other efficiency metrics, um, EPA is kind of what people are, are building off of especially in the nfl analytics world and what what does um, that
0: stand what does that stand for
1: expected points added um so you can look at you can look at the value expected points added of a particular play or a player um compared to baseline rates of plays and players across the entire league
0: is that kind of Um, like the the football version of wins above replacement exactly that's
1: exactly right Yeah. So um, it's it's, it's essentially a uh, football version of of war. That's, that's entirely right. Um, But yeah, I mean, that, that's a base part of the uh, NFL scrape bar uh, data set. So, you know, that gives the NFL analytics community a huge advantage Um, and S&P plus and other advanced analytics systems like FEI and F plus and Sagarin uh, all have various versions of, of that same idea that to kind of capture the, the overall efficiency. And it's, it's kind of debatable whether or not explosiveness has as much of an impact.
0: And you're talking about efficiency, and that's really the determining factor, or at least seemed to correlate with being able to determine success on the field. What is that over under mark where if you're above this number, that's a good efficiency rate, if you're under this number, it's not so great.
1: Yeah, so that that that's an interesting question. Um, I I don't know if I know off the top of my head what exactly is is kind of a baseline uh, because it it does vary somewhat year to year, and we do track it relative to other teams. Um, so I I don't know if I can give exactly a a or ballpark, a I guess even. Yeah. Um. So I I guess I would say that in terms of of efficiency, I mean you obviously want more than half of your plays to be, to be successful. Right. (laughs) Um, I think that that, that's, that's a good cutoff point.
0: Okay. So where would Ohio state's offense, which had, I mean, record setting success passing wise last year, but even though they had a thousand yard rusher and almost a second um, from JK Dobbins and, and Mike Weber, it wasn't exactly the most, I think, in my mind from a layman's view the more colloquial version of efficient looking offense as a total, or even if you want to break it down by passing and running, how did they do just in general, you don't have to give me, I don't expect you to know the exact percentages, but just in general, how did they rate on those parts of their offensive game in 2018?
1: Yeah. So there, there was a huge split, um, like your eyes would tell you just from watching it between the run and the pass game and between explosiveness and efficiency. Um, so it, it was really strange, I think, to pretty much everyone that uh, J.K. Dobbins' efficiency dropped off so much last year. Um, I, I do have the S&P Plus numbers pulled up. And okay. S&P Plus is, is if you're not familiar, is Bill Connolly's metric. Uh, it is opponent-adjusted. So it's not only just the overall success rate, but it's also adjusted in, for the uh, success rates of all the uh, opponents in college football. So um, they're... Ohio State's offense ranked 54th in rushing S&P Plus and 5th in passing S&P Plus. So that just shows you – and, and the S&P Plus overall captures various components of which efficiency is kind of the predominant one. Um, but that just goes to show you the the stark contrast in how, uh, how important the passing game was last year compared to the rushing game. And if we look at success rate compared to explosiveness um, – the the overall offense was very explosive. It was top t- or sorry uh, efficient. It was a top ten in six, in success rate, and it was uh, right in the middle of 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 the FBS in terms of explosiveness. And we might not have expected that overall. Um, I think because we you know we think about that passing offense as pretty explosive. Um, however, the the success rate. Is really dependent there on the the sheer efficiency of the passing game um, Haskins was both explosive and efficient uh, but but man, we have never really seen an as efficient a passing game as Ohio State had last year in Columbus,
0: yeah, and obviously with a completely new quarterback and someone who has a completely different skill set, obviously those things will likely change this year, which I want to get to in a minute. But you mentioned Bill Connolly and S P Plus. Most listeners probably know that Bill used to be a part of our family at SB Nation. He has now moved on to, I don't know, some other place, the worldwide leader, ESPN or something like that. What is the, do you know the future of SP Plus? Is that going to be housed on ESPN somewhere? I know he's doing a lot of writing and a lot of TV appearances, but I haven't necessarily heard a definitive as to... What the fate of s and p plus is going to be this season?
1: yeah, so that that's a very interesting question. Um, I obviously can't speak for Bill too much, but yeah. I, it does seem that uh, that there may be a name um, change for s and p plus uh, since it does share um, uh, <laughs> its name with uh, the the s and p in the stock market. so you know that that's that may be a, a change that's coming. It also sounds like the much love statistical profiles for all FBS teams uh, won't be won't be back at least huh. for this 2019 season, which is which is a that's very sad. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's it's very sad. Um, but you know maybe that will spur um, more people to develop their own metrics uh, to replace it, um, or at least to supplement it until s Plus comes back in its full uh, glory. Um, but, yeah, it, I, as far as I know, it will be used pretty heavily, uh, I guess, coinciding with ESPN's former um, uh, advanced metric, the FPI system, which, unfortunately, we don't know how it works, really. Uh, we just know that it, 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 it really exists. Work, <laughs> Does it really work,
0: though? It doesn't really work, though. I
1: I, I I do think that that, that is interesting because um, it does seem that FPI is a little less consistent with the other advanced metrics in terms of ranking teams. Um, it doesn't always spit out what you might expect, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's actually something you wrote an article about uh, earlier this month in August. You looked at all of the projections for Ohio State season, everything from the very rudimentary polls uh, and then also the advanced statistical projections. S&P Plus going into this season has Ohio State at 7 FEI has it at 4th, F+, which is um, Football Outsiders, Projection has them at 5th, and then you've got FPI, which has them all the way down at 13th. As you are kind of looking at these, and obviously you um, know Bill really well, you know uh, Football Outsiders, you guys are both part of that team as well, Um, what does the factor of having a new coach like Ryan Day and having a new quarterback like Justin Fields, how much does that factor in? How much are you able to actually put statistical information into a formula like this when you don't have a huge sample size, either for day coaching games, you have three games of him coaching Urban Meyer's team last season, and then you have Justin Fields who played a bit at Georgia last year, but it was mostly as a running threat rather than a passing threat. How are you able to lump all of that information, if at all, into trying to to look forward as to what Ohio state might be in twenty nineteen
1: yeah, that's a great question. Um so I, I guess just backing up one second in terms of how advanced statistical projections work, um, almost all of them function with more or less the same components. Uh, so kind of the core is taking a look at your what you did last year in terms of advanced stats. so that would be. Where you ranked and what your rating was in terms of efficiency, in terms of your drive efficiency. So whether or not you had a a, a possession that was able to get into opponent territory and into a scoring position or into uh, an opponent red zone, um, how successful you were when once you got there, in terms of getting touchdowns and uh, explosiveness like we talked about. So last year's data forms the bulk of a lot of these advanced stat projections. Um, Then most of the forecasts will then modify that number by the returning production that your team has. Um, so a lot of, a lot of fans are familiar with returning production, um, in the kind of fill steel kind of way. Um, so that's like returning starters, right? So, you know, that's like eight on offense and seven on defense or something. Um, and ESPN during broadcasts will frequently refer to that, you know, for returning on the line and that's, that's definitely valuable. Um, but it doesn't always account for situations where, um, for instance, backups got a lot of playing time, even if. It, they weren't starters or there was a rotation. Um, and you know, depending on what you, who you count as a starter, like Ohio state had legitimately six starters at wide receiver last year. Um, so I, I think that, that, uh, ways to account for returning production, like, uh, bills system, which takes a look at the actual statistics produced and the percentage of returning statistics. So that'd be like passes defended, uh, or rushing yards or passing yards. Um, that that better accounts for the actual impact that that players had even if they didn't start um, so th- that modification on last year's metrics forms a core part then a lot of people will add in a a kind of a longer term recent history analysis so up to five years into the past uh, with obviously declining weights as you uh, go further back in terms of Right. How how much those affect your current score, Uh, but that kind of serves as an anchor, so that even if last year, I guess to account for whether last year might have been an aberration, either plus or minus from your kind of statistical threshold over time. And then the the other two factors that fact that go into um, statistical forecasts are recruiting, and this is this is obviously a big one. Um, So recruiting rankings, and again. We can can talk about this, but there are a ton of ways to measure recruiting. So you could just take a look at the rating, uh, average rating that you've had over the last four or five years and factor that in, or various other ways of accounting for recruiting. And then finally, uh, turnovers. And turnovers are interesting because they're one of the more uh, random parts of football. So not necessarily as as much, um, although there's a debate here too, um, about Uh, the ability to cause turnovers but definitely in terms of recovering turnovers and especially recovering fumbles that's entirely random uh, just where the ball bounces after it comes out of a a rusher's hand so um the the overall turnover margin that you that you had last year um is definitely ripe for uh regressing to the mean whether that is in your favor or not it, it it could have influenced your overall game-to-game performance um, in, in a way that you know gave you an extra win or loss here and there. Um, so all of those things kind of can can be used to spit out a statistical number uh, or, or rating for your team, but they you notice that none of those account for coaches or quarterbacks and you know those are big deals i think we can debate about the the effectiveness uh uh, i guess the the relative weight of each one um but i think that we would all agree that they are that they're really critical um you know if justin fields goes down (laughs) i mean i think you're gonna have to discount ohio state's win total by three or four wins right that's that's generous Uh, yeah yeah right uh so (laughs) it's It's extremely difficult uh, to account for those statistically. So what a lot of gamblers will do is take the the kind of baseline statistical forecasts and then they will manually adjust them here and there to account for major injuries or or quarterbacks uh, or uh, or coaching changes because those are all sources of uncertainty that are difficult to model quantitatively.
0: And especially preseason, obviously these things will change. As more relevant, accurate current data is added to the samples as the season progresses,
1: that's right, yeah, yeah, um, although even there with such a short season um, it's it, and with players constantly changing, it is difficult to uh, always get a sense for especially in the first like seven games um, or so uh, to to wait how much to account for a performance yeah. against whoever. And, you know, we do the same thing, um, e- even if you're not using statistics. In week one, if Auburn uh, if Auburn beats Washington, I think that that was last year, uh, you know, how good of a win is that, right? Uh, we don't necessarily know if either of those teams are actually going to be good. So um, when we do our adjustments, it, it's really difficult uh, until we have a... a A lot of games built into the data set to make those in season adjustments.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of why I think to me, why baseball analytics are probably even more accurate than anything else is because they have so many freaking games where an NFL season is literally less than one tenth of a baseball season. It's harder to get as much accurate data without being able to figure out the, you know, all the variables that might have figured in. So, you mentioned recruiting, and I want to touch on this because you've written a couple pieces for us over the last few weeks uh, about recruiting and how that uh, translates and connects to, like, uh, Bud Elliott's uh, blue, trip, blue chip ratio and and how we're able to kind of look at Ohio State versus Michigan versus the rest of the Big Ten and, and some of these other things. Now, you mentioned that there's a number of different ways to look at recruiting, and everybody has their... Um, different systems we tend to look at 24 uh, 7 sports composite rankings but those in and of themselves are just arbitrary uh, you know sub you know uh, subjective analysis from you know what they always talk about in baseball as scouts they're not really based on actual on-field measurables uh, so how do you kind of look at those and then how do you put them Together, knowing that they're not based off of numbers and statistics, and then how does that, I guess, moving forward, what did you find from that when comparing Ohio State's recruiting to the rest of the Big Ten and especially the rival?
1: Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. Um, Yeah, sorry. I I guess what I would no, 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 not at all. Um, So I guess what I would say first of all is that yes, it's it's very difficult to both scout uh, recruits. And to uh, measure that quantitatively, Um, because obviously what you're doing with scouting is assigning a number forecast to a player in high school who's not done developing both physically, mentally, um, everything wise. Right. So you're trying to project them uh, out for four years while they're in, in the middle of their uh, of of their growth, and that doesn't account for their fit within a system, or relationships, or uh, you know off field things. Um, there's just a lot that could go into uh, to measuring a player's potential ability. Not to mention the fact that all of these various recruiting services like 24/7 Rivals and ESPN uh, could have slightly different methodologies and things that they emphasize at each position. That said, even with all that uncertainty, we do see an overall strong relationship between recruiting talent overall um, and uh, actual on-field performance. So and that's a pretty robust relationship between those two variables. Uh, So essentially what we are looking at here is while an individual player's rating might be bad or not, Um, you know, we might undervalue a three-star who turns into an all-star player. Like, I I remember like Bradley Roby and I think Denzel Ward were both three-star, uh, corners. Uh, but you you know, they turned into, I mean, they had five-star field, uh, play on the field. Right. Um, so, you know, they may have been undervalued for some reason. Uh, but the, the fact is in aggregate, if we look at these ratings, there's a meaningful relationship there between, uh, their ratings and performance. So after we kind of get the sense that, oh, yeah, okay, overall, in general, we should trust ratings, but maybe not be too particular in the evaluation of any individual player, um, then it comes to how we measure each recruiting class's overall talent. And that's that's also a kind of an interesting question. I always start with the 24-7 composite, like you mentioned, because it uh, is an average of the three major recruiting services. And then from there... Um, They they rank their classes based on a total point system, which factors in both the average rating of a player as well as the overall number of players in a class. So therefore, bigger recruiting classes will rank higher in their ratings Um, that that obviously is is useful to some degree because you want to have more better players rather than just better players. Um, And that's what
0: Ohio state found in their 2019 class while it was down at like 14th overall, I think when it came to points per player, they were actually like third.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So they, they were third overall, if you just looked at the average or mean player rating. Um, But I guess where I, one of the problems I had with, with just looking at the average player rating for Ohio State's 2019 class was the average or mean player rating itself can be skewed one way or the other. And uh, when I say skewed, that means what I really am saying there is that, you know, a few players at the uh, top or bottom of a recruiting class can significantly uh, change the average, even if most of the players are at the other end of the spectrum. And I think that that was, was more or less the case with the 2019 class, where we had, I think, three, 3 five-star players at the very top. But most of the class was actually rated a good bit lower than we've seen for the, the last four or five years. Um, so it pulled up the average player rating, if you look at mean uh, the mean player rating. But in a sense, it still was a, a little bit uh, a step down in, in overall quality from our previous classes. Um so one of the things that I wanted to do was first look at median player rating, which isn't is which is less affected by SKU, and also look at the full distribution um, so basically I made some charts uh, that were histograms that I overlaid with uh, density curves to show the <laughs> essential sh- that th- those, those are to just me. yeah <laughs> those those are just uh, fancy sounding words for to look at the overall shape of player distribution, um, player rating distribution. So so that you could see whether or not there were uh, more players at the top end of of the class or at the bottom end of the class. And essentially, all it shows is that there that the twenty nineteen class was heavily weighted towards the lower end of the class, uh, tor- towards the lower end of the ratings compared to the twenty eighteen and twenty seventeen classes, especially.
0: And so, as you're looking at these numbers, and I'm looking at your charts, especially the ones uh, that overlay Ohio State and Michigan's last four recruiting classes, and despite the fact that Ohio State was more backloaded uh, in 2019, they were still heavier on the, uh, the 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 top side than Michigan was, which is always good to see. Um, but to kind of kind of ramp some of this stuff up, how much should fans? take these recruiting results, obviously we always hear that recruiting is the lifeblood of college sports and especially college football, but how much should they say, okay, Ohio State has more talent than anybody on their schedule, so that should mean that Ohio State should win more often than not, and even if you look at um, F-plus' ratings, Ohio State is favored in all of their games except for Michigan where it's a 49-51 split, um, and that's you know, 50-50, how, how should folks take solace in Ohio State's recruiting dominance when it comes to being on the field in a season that has a lot of question marks otherwise?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I think that that's a good point. Um, I, I think that overall, if you're looking at, at talent, um, one thing to do is to say that, yeah, the overall team talent is really in a league uh, just with Georgia and Alabama in terms of the country. There's really There really aren't, I guess there's a big step down from those three to everyone else in the country in terms of overall team talent, if you look at the last four or five years of combined recruiting ratings. Um, from there, you could break it down by position and then compare that with, with the different teams on Ohio State's schedule. And even there, if you look by position, Ohio State is at the very top of every, uh, of every position, except for at... Um, and this is this is specifically looking at the top uh, quartile or the best players uh, overall at each position. Um, and Ohio State is the best, uh, except at cornerback and defensive tackle, where Michigan is has the top uh, quartile player ratings. And at running back, uh, where Penn State has the top. Um, but besides those, I mean, even at those positions, Ohio State is a close second. And so overall you have the sense that yeah Ohio State is insane insanely talented like really this may be the most talented version of Ohio State I mean in in years wow it's it's really yeah I, I really it's it's difficult to overstate I guess how talented this team is this roster is at every single position um, so yeah if you're looking at at that, while we shouldn't pick games just based on talent, uh, it, it is predictive in a sense. Um, but there's, there's I think the takeaway there is that, yes, Ohio State's talent should ensure that it is a favorite in, in almost all of its games. The problem there is that there's a lot of uncertainty due to depth at key positions and because of uh, coaching and or scheme fit fit uh, issues that we just don't know enough about. Um, so we don't know enough about what changes are gonna come on a defensive coordinator uh, in terms of you know what kinds of scheme they're going to call and how that fits in with the players, even though they're insanely talented. Um, and we don't know, A, how good Justin Fields is going to be, but also, B, what happens if there's an injury there. So yes, Ohio State's talent is, Should be kind of uh, give it an extremely high floor for the season, but there's also enough uncertainty at key spots that it's it's fair to project um, a little bit wider range of possible outcomes for their season.
0: So it'll tell us that they're good, but it won't necessarily tell us how good they are. So uh, not helping soothe some of the uh, the nervous energy going into the season, Chad. But thanks anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, OK, so just to kind of uh, put a bow on all of this, Ohio State has what is expected to be a much improved defense, is expected to have a, a really dynamic offense that will probably lean more towards running than it did obviously last year with the most prolific passer in a single season in Big Ten history. As fans are watching the games, especially those that first month of the season, what are things that they should look for from a statistical standpoint to say, "Okay, this team is on the right track." You mentioned efficiency. Is that just you know moving forward? Is it that ratio of five yards on first down? You know, what is something that they can tangible the non analytic minded people can watch for and say, "Oh, okay, this shows me that both the offense and or the defense." is doing what it needs to do
1: yeah um okay so a couple things first of all um if you're watching if you're in the game and watching things it's it's impossible to you know calculate success rates in your head um but what you can do uh i i think that one thing to look out for in terms of efficiency is and one one of the most important things that i'll be watching during games is the percentage of rushes that go for four yards or more. Um, We call this rushing opportunity rate. And it's essentially a kind of a baseline for how much each rush should uh, gain to be a a successful rush. Um, So obviously that's not adjusted for down distance or field position, but it's, it's an easier thing to keep track of in your head. Oh yeah, okay. J.K. Dobbins gained four yards there, only two yards there, seven yards there. That's a lot easier thing to to keep in your head and to kind of track throughout a game. Um, so that's one thing that I'll really be watching. Uh, another is short yard short yardage success rate. Both of those metrics Ohio State did pretty poorly in last year, um, and I think to be an elite level team and to really challenge for the playoff again, they're going to have to have a consistent ground game, and uh, both in short yardage and uh, just overall. So, and of course it shouldn't be a surprise that without an efficient run game, Ohio state also didn't have a very explosive run game. So, uh, you know, also be on the lookout for any runs of 10 yards or 13 yards or more. Um, but besides that uh, defensively, the really big key here is to look at the number of explosive plays. Um, Ohio state's explosive plays were both frequent and really terrible last year on oh, um, a so defensive
0: they, standpoint
1: that's right yeah so they were uh they were not just kind of a 13 yard game they were a 75 yard game touchdown. yeah
0: yeah oh, it, that Maryland just, game
1: y- exactly yeah that Maryland game was was pretty devastating and I think even even the TCU game there was that I think it was like a third third uh it was third down near their end zone, and then they just busted open for a huge game. And obviously Purdue, uh, just, yeah. just well, talking let's, about let's,
0: let's forget that. Move on. Move on. Yeah,
1: move on. Uh, so <laughs> just, just the, the number, the overall uh, number of big plays given up is a really big indicator. Um, and then besides that, if you're looking kind of for a, a little bit deeper, uh, how they do on passing downs especially So Ohio state did really well last year on standard downs. So first or second down, um, and then on, on third down and on, uh, and on second down second and long, um, Ohio state did much worse than they did on earlier downs. And that's a, that's a little kind of curious because the players stay the same. My guess there is that that is a scheme issue. Um, so shocking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I could actually see that improving a good bit uh, just because of the coaching turnover and, uh, the, you know, different scheme adjustments, uh, sprinkling in some zone coverage and that sort of thing.
0: Uh, and maturation the, of players as well.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, obviously players getting better is, is kind of the, uh, the biggest deal. Um, but I think that that could be indicative, I guess, improvement in terms of passing down efficiency on defense could be indicative of both uh uh scheme changes as well as uh player developments at key positions and of course you know if you want to really get into it i'll be posting advanced stats reviews of all the the games so you know read those articles and hopefully you'll get something out of them (laughs) yeah
0: yeah no we will we will make sure that you are breaking all this stuff down especially if we don't have the smp plus uh Team profiles like we've had in the past to kind of uh, resort to, we will definitely be making sure that you are keeping this clear for everybody uh, throughout the season. So, Chad, thank you for, so much for walking us through all of this. Uh, I feel like I have a better understanding. My head is still swimming a little bit because I never. Took a statistics class and if I did I probably dropped it after a week or two but I appreciate all of that um, of course for listeners if you are finding this podcast on the website lamegrainholyland.com make sure that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast in order to get all of the unparalleled podcast coverage this season on Friday last Friday we announced our full slate of podcasts for the 2019 football season and if I do say so myself. I I don't think that you will find an Ohio state podcast out there with as much breadth and variety of voices and perspectives. So make sure to subscribe anyway. Also don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy land on Twitter at Land Grant 33. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. And even though Chad, you don't tweet a ton. um, But if you do (laughs) folks can follow you at CG Peltier, CG P-E-L-T-I-E-R. Anything else that people need to know about your social media?
1: Um, Not necessarily. I I do also post uh, kind of uh, reviews of each week at Football Outsiders, too. So feel free to take a look at those. It's an advanced stats review, um, but not just looking at Ohio State, looking at the country as a whole.
0: Yeah, and and we should put a plug in there because Football Outsiders has their season preview and their statistical preview. It's like a 500 page document um for sale i bought it it's great i'm looking at it you can hear it right here i'm looking at it right here so um (laughs) uh, really fantastic stuff like i said i don't understand most of it but it's uh, uh it's really good information to have if you are a little bit more statistically minded so anyway thanks everybody for listening we will talk to you again soon and of course go bucks
1: go bucks